Welcome to another edition of UCBS on Times Live. You know, sometimes someone gives you an argument that you had not considered before and you go, hmm, this is kind of interesting. I had one of those moments with one of my favorite thinkers, African analyst, who is also a senior research fellow here at the UN University of Johannesburg at the Center for Africa-China Studies. Kofi Kwaku, and of course, is no stranger to this platform or many of the other audio journalism platforms I've been on before. And essentially, he has drawn my attention to something that I'm sure 99% of you have not given much thought to either, I think, which is that on the front of our South African passports, there is, of course, English and French. Uh, it says, you know, that this is the Republic of South Africa, and then I can't speak French. Republic, Darfrug, Dassud, what, what? And there's no other language you'll find in the passport. It's English and French. And this has led him, as an Africa analyst, to write a really interesting article. I came across it at theafrican.co.za with a title that I think thematically embodies what the argument is about decolonizing the South African passport. Now, although I found it interesting, I'm not sure I'm convinced yet, and I thought the best way to really tease out what exactly decolonizing the South African passport means, and whether I'm convinced, is to be in conversation with the author beyond the article that he had written. It was a clear article, but I do have some questions. You're listening to Eusebius on Times Live. That's this latest podcast on Times Live. And it's me, Eusebius McKaiser, exploring the major issues of the week. That means you're going to hear a lot of law, politics and ethics, how they intersect and how important these stories are in the life of all South Africans. When people saw their children must know these are sellouts. They put saliva on the paper. Mr. Julius Malema whispered and said, sing it, sing it. And then they shared that zone. No, I'm not going to apologize. Can I have my iPad, please? So they stole it. Coffee, thanks so much for joining me on Times Live. Thanks for having me, UCBS. A lot of things matter, especially in a country where we've got, amongst youth, 60% unemployment, if not more, an economy growing at 2%, if not less, asset, wealth, income inequalities that make us probably the most economically unjust society on earth. Why should I care about what language is inscribed on the cover of my passport? Yes, indeed. Uh, I think this is an excellent question for me. In fact, I had the same feeling for years when I was at WITS at the graduate school with my students and all these professionals. I've kept asking them, I mean, isn't that something a bit peculiar? There's some kind of anachronism and so forth. But back to your questions, I think it does matter uh, in terms of identity and sovereignty, as I said in the piece. It is so important. Of course, at this stage, um, as I shared with you as well, uh, the lower level of the Maslow hierarchy of needs are 
much more important. You just mentioned that poverty, inequality, uh, food issues, inflation, and so forth. So who should really care about this? You know, changing the you know the the language in the South African passport language, as I said, is a binding element between identity and sovereignty going forward. It's also geopolitically a very important piece. Um, I don't see South Africa being a very important power in the world if it's still using languages that's not quite, you know, representative of its sovereignty and identity. And that's one of the reasons I thought it would be good to look at it. And another one, and I would agree with David Brooks of the New York Times, is said a columnist, really one of the key uh, and powerful instruments he's got with him or with her, is careful observation. And these are small things we don't pay attention to, but that occupy much of our identities and sovereignties. So my point was we need to overthrow that kind of language occupation of the passport of South Africa. Okay, I kind of get that. So there are different categories of arguments, each one discrete and jointly they make the case for you. There is a symbolic aspect to your analysis. There is a question of cultural linguistic domination, which is related to the symbolic. You try and make a serious case for why this matter in terms of trade relations. And then, of course, from a diplomatic point of view, there's also the geopolitical elements. No, these are related to each other, but each one has got their own flavor. Let's start with perhaps what is intuitively the easiest to understand, even though we don't give it much consideration when you are packing your bags and you're on your way to the airport, you probably don't give a damn about whether your passport has got French on the cover or whether it's got Afrikaans or Zulu. You just hope that passport control will let you through and you will have a hassle-free passage on your way to Ibiza or wherever Julius Malema is hanging out next. But you suggest that actually when you are not flying and worrying about the stress of travel, it's worth thinking through the symbolism of having a passport where none of your country's 12 official languages, other than English, is actually none of the indigenous ones, are to be found on that particular document. Can you walk my listeners through the symbolism and the linguistic imperialism aspects of your analysis? In what way is there a missed opportunity at best and at worst a passive acceptance of linguistic domination if I'm traveling the globe with a passport that has got French on the cover? Yes, that's a brilliant point there. I mean, first of all, so if we took the rhetorical cultural pride, which most um, Africans use it as an imperative towards African languages, especially, you know, Pan-Africanists and a lot of South Africans, I mean, this is a point that's very important. Um, ind indigenous languages, if I can use this barbarism, um, do have their matters. They, they do, uh, they're very important. As I said in the piece, you know, would the French want to see Zulu on their passports? Um, would South Africans would want to see Mandarin or any other language that's not part of their, you know, cultural heritage on the passport? And that's the piece. That's that's a simple way to walk through. That is the very important dignity, identity, and then sovereignty that is bound again, as I said, by language. That's the simple walk through with it. Of course, um, you, you people are sitting here who don't travel, don't see that. 
So a careful observation is that, wait a minute, what is French doing in this South African passport? What does it have to do? It's not a former French colony, nothing, but it's still there. So the reason we're explainable with the, you know, 1920 meeting in Paris, where the French were still very powerful, decided that, hey, you're going to have to have this language on it and another language of your choice. But it hasn't changed. That was, as I said again, a century ago. And if South Africa is still using it, there's something that's missing for me, that South Africa is not taking the language seriously enough so that it becomes an element, in fact, a linguistic argument and power geopolitically on that passport in terms of identity and sovereignty. That's as simple as I can say it. If we drill down into a bit more precisely this cultural identity element of your argument, I suppose for me, language matters. And I was reading your article at a time when I was preparing for a couple of workshops in the next few days that have to do with language and identity. And so I'm certainly in the right headspace to be receptive to your argument. But I also, at the same time, have a sort of natural skepticism, not cynicism, that comes with wearing my hat as a, as a broadcaster. So playing devil's advocate, I was wondering to myself, how significant just the inscription on a, a document can be to do the argumentation work that you are talking about? I mean, I get the importance of speaking, let's say, my mother tongue as often as I can on national TV, for example. I get the importance of writing my Afrikaans dialect and not only those of white Afrikaans persons who dominated what was known as official Afrikaans during apartheid, which wasn't the same Afrikaans as the Afrikaans spoken by so-called colored people, and so writing against linguistic Afrikaans domination at the level of dialect, I know how powerful it is, for example, as I did once, to have an interview between myself and um, Gaten McKenzie in which we spoke colored Afrikaans, for lack of a better description. So the language argument is certainly very powerful, but can a couple of words on a document be that significant? Yes, yes, Eusebius. And I mean, you asked a brilliant, um, um, you know, devil's advocate question. I mean, the old days, if you look at, so, so my point here is understanding the passport not as a piece of paper anymore. The role of the passport, its value, its geopolitical value, and what it comes with today in terms of sovereignty and identity, but also power right, and representation and image in the world has become so important. In the old days, you could work, go around, people wouldn't pay attention. That's about a century ago. But today, as I said in the piece, there's even ranking, an index that ranks passports and what they represent. So having that passport means something geopolitically, but also not just the vagary of, you know, great politics and where you're moving and so forth, but it allows you sort of a key that opens countries to you. South Africa has access with the South African passport. You can enter 105 countries or a little bit more now. But with time, when that uh, that passport loses its value, 
that it, it's not it doesn't mean that because of the language that that's uh, written on it but there is an identity people look at it and the language becomes important i i can tell you that you know i've always find it very bizarre that south african president going outside being former president beki former president jacob zuma former uh, even the actual president sir maposa that there's still of course the, the english language is part of the language the 12 languages but if one of them was were speaking another quote unquote indigenous language either isizulu or isixosa i mean it will have a, such a powerful reference and 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 it's not just about curiosity but it gives a sense of place a sense of meaning to the people on the passport that is the geopolitical nature today it's very important i mean it, it, if i if i were to, to to shift it you know into uh, into china in terms of value you know what, do you think they'll have to have french written on their passport so easily especially on the cover no ways it's both a sort of form of freedom a form of uh, i wouldn't say rebellion but it forms also resistance to other places so i'm not saying i'm not arguing that we should be resisting the french as nothing else but that the pride might be must be converted into the value of who we are what we represent and how we express ourselves and how we take those languages seriously none of these indigenous languages are figuring in the south african passport the question is why coffee how do we compare to other countries in the global south is this phenomenon of prioritizing english and english and french due to a contingent event that happened in paris in 1920 ubiquitous in the global south or is south africa atypical in terms of not asserting an indigenous identity well the two things south africa is atypical in a sense that it's not asserting that there are many other countries who still have it especially on the african continent for goodness sake you can see that in in cote d'ivoire um in the uh, democratic republic of the congo uh in gabon and so forth there's still this french identity that so i'm not saying the french uh, language is a terrible thing in fact i'm a product of this 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 sort of thing this language i speak both french and english a bit of most of these european languages spanish a bit of uh, portuguese and so forth but at times you know there's a there's something that kicks in that said wait a minute you know what's what's going on so back to your question on south africa south africa is part of that kind of group that hasn't been paying attention to that language and it's coming out more and more the brics countries brazil russia india china and post south africa they've been pushing very hard on this linguistic independence in large part but also it's not just independence but being able to to have some kind of representation of their diversity in terms of the languages that they don't have to carry this baggage linguistic baggage of of the former colonial powers all the time at least the simple place where they can have an impact is much easier than trying to change economic you know complicated economic systems right so let's start there so that's my argument can we start then build up on it can i ask this question which comes first being a serious player geopolitically within the national arena or projecting seriousness symbolically one might say that the reason why the chinese example doesn't prove your case is that china's military and economic might precedes 
its projection of symbols onto the world that shows the middle finger to empire and to English as a language. But that South Africa is not in that position. And so it's putting the proverbial symbolism cart before the economic horse. I would disagree. Language and its power precedes any other power. One of the reasons today, largely, that China is a power, it's really through its language. If the Chinese didn't have their own language and their own culture, you know, that sort of more than 5,000 years of culture, linguistic culture, that helps them to understand the world in a specific way. Their worldviews goes through that language that, that builds the power that represents their country. I mean, you go to China today, although they make, uh, um, if you want uh, accounting, they make space for English, but largely it's all the language. It's all Mandarin. I mean, even here in Johannesburg, you know, when you go to Chinatown, how are things written? You know, they, they, because the language carries that power. I mean, as much as, um, you know, uh, uh, people think that the language is not important. No, they're wrong. It is important. It is what makes it that the English language has become powerful because it's been imposed by and large uh, on many people. And I think that is a point. And many, many other countries are saying, yes, we like the English language, but we also want to have our own identity and sovereignty through our indigenous languages. You see, that's really interesting, Coffee. It brings me to the last theme I want to explore with you, and that is to make explicit what your argument is for the trade and economic aspects of this. Someone might listen to us and say, look, I'm not convinced this is the most important conversation to have, but I'll grant you that we can chew gum and walk at the same time, mm. worry about the country being on the precipice right now, and at the same time, we need to think about the medium-term interest as Coffee frames it, and I get that. They might say, I'll also concede that your interlocutor is right about the symbolism, the cultural elements, and the language elements, but I just don't see the economic part of this. How on earth would getting rid of French and having Zulu on my passport increase South Africa's trade relations? That surely... Mm is a stretch yes indeed i said that i said that in part in my uh in my piece that getting rid of uh french off the south african passport is not a clear-cut you know channel biting um to get economic growth for example in south africa you know no having um if you want zulu or mandarin on it bringing more uh if you want economic value to south africa not yet you know, it's something we can do later. Uh, for the Africa continental free trade uh, area, you know, it's it's really amazing how um, the sense of identity and sense of place and pride and sovereignty can push people to invest in a specific area geographically in Africa. I mean, the Chinese diaspora does this all the time. A lot of them are using their language. Uh, there's a big story out in, in France where, uh, the Chinese have become so, so powerful by not using their, their trading abilities, 
but by using their language. The, the Mandarin learning is growing very fast in France. Um, so it, it's also growing in Africa, by the way. And so th that kind of language has economic power, right? I know you've asked me the question saying that's, that's power comes before uh, language or language before. Uh, in both cases, they do come uh, one way or another. I think the, the power of the language must assume itself. It's very, very important. Because if you really want to, if you were to take uh, away Mandarin or away French or away Russian, and what other language would you want to teach people um, in terms of uh, economic understanding? Is it English? But here's what I'll say to this, though, Coffee. Can I, can I, can I just uh, gently sure. interrupt to challenge your analysis of mm -hmm. the pride of Chinese investors that stem in part from Chinese identity that is rooted in, for example, linguistic pride. Isn't the problem here one that you should be more familiar with than me as someone who pays attention to statistical analysis and to the usefulness but also the shortcomings of case studies when it comes to empirical analyses in general? that there are confounding variables here that can explain what it is that ultimately accounts for, let's say, Chinese business folk investing in their local economy or even the Chinese diaspora disproportionately investing back into businesses at home than, let's say, diaspora from other parts of the world. For example, jingoism. For example, fear of consequences that might result if you were not to do so. And any number of others, some of it may be myths about um, China, some of it may be true about the political economy of China and about democratic centralism. But the only point that I'm making is that we should be surely careful to not engage here in confirmation bias. It might be true that the Chinese are very proudly projecting their language and their cultural identities onto the world unashamedly, and rightly so. But it's something else to conclude that that is the proximate explanation for Chinese economic might. Oh, no. I mean, uh, I'm saying it's one of them. They work very hard. You can speak your native language as you can. I mean, we've seen in the Eastern Cape, there, there's Isitosa. I mean, this is your, your uh, yeah. uh, backwater, right? They're speaking it with pride, but where are we today in terms of economic growth? Where are we in exactly. terms of uh, poverty alleviation? Where are we in terms exactly. of uh, inequalities, right? So that is a really important issue until South African realize that. Because if, if, we keep, if you keep making the point that it's not as important or it doesn't have a point, of course people won't use it as a, a language of trade, a language of economics, a language of anything else. I mean, when was the last time you, Yusuf Yusuf, had a chance to see, let alone read a book on, on in economics in Isiklosa? None whatsoever, right? But if it starts to come out, even in Isizulu and so forth, people say, I mean, pride and cultural pride, but also linguistic issues, um, uh, are products. I mean, the French, for example, many people buy stinky French cheese. I mean, I said it again, French cheese, French chocolate, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, Belgium chocolate, where they don't even have cocoa, they don't produce cocoa in those places, but people are just buying them because there's that linguistic connection to it that also economic. Okay. 
right? Yeah. So that's okay. So I think that's really important. So if I get you right in terms of the structure of your argument, I'll give you a final two minutes to wrap the conversation here. Yes. You are persisting, and my listeners can make up their mind whether they're convinced that the argument that you are making about decolonizing the South African passport is not only a symbolism argument, nor is it a psychopolitical argument. It also is one, even if the causal analysis require a couple of steps to think through, mm. it is also ultimately an economic one, but it will take time to convert the symbolism, cultural and psychopolitical benefits into a healthier economic situation for the country vis-a-vis other players in the globe. Indeed. And in in fact, you put it so well. And I have to tell you now, in fact, I shouldn't have said this, but I mean, for respect for your audience, I mean, I didn't want to be patronizing and giving them those steps and tell them this is how you should be thinking about it largely, right? You got to give room to people (laughs) to also figure it out one way or another. (laughs) I think I try to take out, you know, to overthrow that sort of patronizing part and they have to understand it. And anybody who doesn't get it to a certain degree, I mean, you've helped them with, through this conversation to take it beyond just a symbolic or functional argument that there is also an economic value and it's got the geopolitical sense to it that we need to take seriously going forward. Well, I think this is really, really important. We can be so worried about what's going to happen to the petrol price next, what's going to happen to interest rates. All of those things matter immediately. But ultimately, whether our country is able to sustain itself will also depend on how well we do in engaging those conversations that are about our medium to long term economic, cultural health as well. And I think that's where you situate a conversation like this one. Coffee, incisive as always. Thank you so much for patiently walking us through your logic and for coming on the platform. Thank you very much. And again, my last word, language matters and African languages do matter.